0: standing for the reading of Scripture, which you'll find in the Epistle of James this morning. The Epistle of James, verses 2 through 8. Let us hear and attend to the Word of God. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything of the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. The marking of time by a new year is something like recognizing the birthday of creation. I think it is ironic that people the world over routinely celebrate a secular new year and yet somehow ignore the implications of time on personal existence. The ancient preacher in Israel in the book of Ecclesiastes gives us an observation of wisdom from below, which he identifies as under the sun. That's in contrast to covenantal wisdom that is received by faith from the word of God and the witness of the Spirit. And so this wisdom from under the sun, this worldly wisdom, expresses common worldly New Year's desires. What what would you say is the common secular New Year's desire of the uh, masses of the world? Isn't it to be better off? I I hope this next year we'll be better off. I hope I'll be better off. And, of course, that oftentimes is identified in, in, in very... Uh, materialistic ways. (laughs) And so here's what the ancient uh, preacher observes about this wisdom from under the sun. It's just the opposite of what people are willing to face. And that is, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. That's why I say that I think it's so puzzling that uh, the teeming peoples of the world celebrate the secular New Year with seeming no awareness or at least a suppressed consciousness about the implications of time on their personal existence. But for us as Christian believers, the marking of a new year can be sanctified by faith and approach differently than the world's preoccupations. This is what the apostolic preacher James (laughs) exhorts us about. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now let me point out to you that <coughs> this expression of the Apostle, uh, Apostle James it, it is not an incantation. It's not a magic formula that we just trip around saying, oh, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, I'll be better off. No, if the Lord wills, I, I recognize my days are numbered by the Lord. If the Lord wills, I'll live. And that I seek to follow the Lord in faithfulness, in the priorities that the Word of God sets out, in doing good of the things God says and identifies are good, that I will live and do this or that. I want to live unto the Lord. If I live or die, I want to live or die unto the Lord faithfully. And so this is wisdom from above, directing the Christian believer to live by faith. Therefore to him who knows to do good, James says, and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him who knows to do good. James is addressing us as Christian believers. We are to know what is good. How do we know what is good? i want to give you a, a, an example here that you can take with you today. Go read the book of James this afternoon. And ask yourself this question. In the book of James, what does James identify as good that God approves and what is not good that God disapproves? Because the book of James is about uh good god's good righteousness god's good things and sinful things and he identifies them for you don't have to really go on an easter egg hunt to try to figure it out he just sets it out this is what's good this is what's sin so for you who know to do good and do not do it it is sin the good things that god identifies what is good by god's direction and god's will So James distills the biblical theme of godly wisdom for faith living into two questions. Who acknowledges their lack of wisdom? From James 1.5. Does any lack wisdom? Any among you lack wisdom? Who acknowledges their lack of wisdom? And two, who wishes to be wise and understanding? From James chapter 3. Who among you wishes to be wise and understanding? Now these two questions form parts 1 and 2 for this week and next week of godly living in the new year but these two questions also give us how godly wisdom is sought after we're to seek after godly wisdom by recognized need who lacks wisdom i mean could you hardly keep your hand from i, I just have to raise my hand who among you lacks wisdom who desires this wisdom and knowledge from god how can you not raise your hand as you approach a new year and you consider what James said, if God wills, I'll live and do this or that. I want wisdom from God. I want wisdom from above. And then a compelling desire. Who lacks understanding and knowledge? Who desires it? Who wants it? Who wishes to be wise and understanding? More and more, I want to be wise and understanding. But James explains this to us in his writing, that this is expressive of a heart desire and a disposition that's either in the flesh or the spirit. It's either wisdom from above or wisdom from below. And he goes on to elaborate that. We're going to look at that next week. But this morning we're looking at the recognized need. Who lacks wisdom? The backdrop of James faith exhortations to new covenant christian believers and make no mistake about it james is writing to christians in the uh, last chapter he talks about the gathering of the church and the elders and the praying for one another and uh, the singing and he talks about us as a congregation as a body and a visible representation of the body of christ in the local church so uh, the backdrop for james faith exhortations to us as covenant christian believers new covenant christian believers is the rich tapestry of Old Testament wisdom books and prophets. He names, he quotes from the wisdom books. He names Job, he names Elijah. And it's epitomized by King Solomon's humility and prayer for wisdom. Do you remember that? Solomon's famous prayer for wisdom at Gibeon corresponds in language and ideas, uh, ideals with the book of Proverbs as a wisdom book. And its stated intentions and purpose. If you compare the language of his prayer and of the uh, um, language in the book of Proverbs, not all written by Solomon, but attributed chiefly to him and to his wisdom, and and compelling us to desire godly wisdom. And uh, if you compare those two, the stated intentions and purpose of Solomon's prayer and of the book of Proverbs is living in the Lord's truth, in righteousness or justice, what is right and just with God with wisdom and understanding from above, seeking godly knowledge as a simple child in humility to receive judgment and discernment for ruling the kingdom and or living our lives in the spheres over which God would have us have influence or be influenced. So with biblical approval, but not ignoring King Solomon's ironic sinful failures, it can be said of King Solomon that he was a legend in his own time. And then and now, the wisdom reputation of Solomon is proverbial. The Bible reveals the source and cause of Solomon's wisdom as from above, from God. God was pleased that Solomon said, I'm like a child. I need understanding. I need wisdom. I lack wisdom. I'm raising my hand. King Solomon raising his hand to the Lord saying, I'm like a child. I need your wisdom. And he didn't ask for power and he didn't ask for revenge against his enemies and he didn't ask for riches to be the richest of all like a child he asked dependence upon the lord his heavenly father and it was god-given wisdom that lord the lord was pleased (laughs) and the the reputation of solomon proverbial for being wise still carries today even though we grieve at his sinful failures i'll give you a little aside here i came across a Uh, an observation by um, an old Scottish preacher, um, John Brown. Was it John Brown? Somebody Brown. In the self-interpreting Bible. He was from the 1700s, and there's a self-interpreting Bible. He was a Scottish Presbyterian, um, and in a a note in his study Bible, he said that perhaps uh, the portions of Proverbs collected and attributed to Solomon are a testimony that in his old age, He found repentance with the Lord and a wisdom against his folly. And I think that's worth considering. It was was an interesting observation. But anyway, the wisdom that Solomon received was wisdom from above. It was God's wisdom. It was given to him by God. And that's what James is talking about in verses 5 through 8 that we look at in chapter 1 this morning. God's wisdom is a gift guaranteed by his integrity. Received by urgent, continuing prayer and sincere faith. I want you to look closely at these verses. In verse 5, James writes and says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. This asking of God grammatically means a continual, urgent asking. Uh, present active imperative, if that means anything to you. But, it, but the idea is that it's an urgent and continual asking God for wisdom. And I think that's valuable for us because we seem to want this kind of one only put in our order. You know, like we put in our fast food order, our pizza order, and we want it delivered immediately, and we're looking for it, and we got the time clock going, and we think that when we pray and ask God for something, that's the way He's going to respond. We've been wrongly conditioned to think that way. This is an ongoing and urgent prayer, that we are regularly, routinely asking God and seeking God and, and uh, uh, humbling ourselves before the Lord, uh, like King Solomon and it makes me wonder, after Solomon's prayers and the Lord's visitation to him twice, somewhere along the line, did Solomon stop praying? Did Solomon stop the urgent prayer? And that's what I want to say to you. Will you stop the urgent praying out and asking God daily and routinely and regularly? And, and that, I think, also impacts coming into the public worship of God for corporate prayer and praise and worship. Somewhere along the line, do we stop with the urgency? And that's what James is um, exhorting us not to. Keep on asking. Continually ask. James draws on biblical wisdom uh, tradition and the teaching of Jesus to qualify this is a unique wisdom from God, the wisdom from above. It's not the, the false gods of fortune telling or superstitions or secret powers. We're inundated with that. Constantly there are books at the bookstore that talk about, you know, power systems. How you can get more. How you can be better off. And they're geared toward this secrets of power. Secrets of power in the marketplace. Secrets of power in management and these kinds of things. I'm not saying they don't have a place to help us in our jobs and in our vocations. But the attitude can be misdirected and be wrong. We're not looking for praying and asking God for wisdom, for fortune-telling. Tell, us what, tell me what's going to happen next. That's not what J- uh, James is saying here. As a matter of fact, he says just the opposite of that. You should be saying and praying, if the Lord wills, seeking and urgently praying day by day, Lord, what is my life? It's but a vapor. It seems so short. What can I do? What today am I to do? To start out and say, Lord, I want to honor and follow you today in my thoughts and in my actions and my words and in my doings. And whatever I'm doing, I want to do it as unto the Lord. And uh, so it's not about gaining some kind of superstitious advantage. Oh, I've got a special um, magic phrase. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. How, How silly people are, how foolish And trying to reduce God into that kind of um, genie, granting wishes, as it were. That's not what the wisdom that, that, that James is writing about here. He says this wisdom is wisdom that is of God's integrity. God who knows what is best and God who does what is right. This is simply expressed as the motto of biblical wisdom. You know what the motto of biblical wisdom is. It was in Psalm 111 this morning. It's throughout the book of Proverbs repeatedly and in the wisdom literature. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, from previous study of that phrase in the wisdom literature as it's repeated, and I just gave you some examples, I have uh, been impressed to, to, with the force and the, the meaning of that fear of the Lord is connected to public worship. It sounds like I'm making that up, but I'm not. By the studied application of the etymology and the grammar and the context of the repeated phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it is recognized by other scholars that this has its application first in terms of the public worship of God. And by the way, that shouldn't surprise us. What is the first and great commandment? When we have the the great moral law of God distilled to us in the first and great commandment. What is the first great commandment? What is the second that's likened to it? And you know what Jesus said. And you know what the the first four commandments are about. And Jesus said it. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your spirit. This is the first and great commandment. To love God and worshiping Him. If you look at those uh, beginning four commandments, they're all about acknowledging and worshiping God. God is one only true God, and you not take his name in vain. But you're to worship him and use his name in praise. We started out this morning with one of the Hallelujah Psalms. Hallelujah. I've told you this. I know you're probably tired of me saying it, but I want you to remember it. Praise Yah, the covenant Lord. Praise him. And how we praise him is a part of worship. Worshiping Him. So, this wisdom that is of God's integrity is that He gives liberally. It's a wonderful word that ha- means generous. Our God is generous, He's not stingy. Th- this word has its root meaning of simplicity, unconditionally, without bargaining, without playing games. <laughs> So what James is saying here is that this is what you can expect in terms of the way that God will deal with you. Is that his wisdom from above is a generous wisdom. And that it doesn't come with reproach. So the generosity and the delightedness that God has is expressed here in terms of his not being insulting or demeaning It's really, again, a contrast to the the misguided mythologies and human imaginations of vengeful gods and of gods who toy with humans. Are you familiar with that? You should be. It's common. And it's a misrepresentation of our Christian faith oftentimes as well, that God toys with people. He plays games. He's not a hide-and-seek God. He's not a vengeful God in the sense of, of an arbitrary fiat uh, you know, monster God. While there is a true wrath of God and a true vengeance of God is rooted in righteousness and holiness. That's what we are to fear. But we're not to fear to ask him for wisdom. And that wisdom is something that he is generous and delighted <laughs> for us to ask and to give. And there's a reason why. And I think Jesus richly expounds this and gives us a, a, um, a much fuller way of understanding what James is saying. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously, liberally and without reproach. And, and this is what Jesus goes on to say then by asking and knocking. He says, what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I think that's a wonderful explanation of what James is saying about God being generous and not reproachful and the integrity of his promise to give us the wisdom that we ask or ask for that he is like our heavenly father and if earthly fathers know how to do good things for their children how much more so oh you of little faith why do you doubt how much more so our heavenly father gives good things to those who ask him. Now, I also have another question that I want you to think about uh, at this juncture and as we go on to finish up the passage, and that is, do you recognize the gospel in this? I just want to call you back to this question about preaching the gospel. So here we're preaching about godly wisdom, uh, given admonition and direction from the Apostle James about asking for wisdom, I tend to think that James' epistle was based on his sermon notes. I think this is the kind of preaching the apostles did from examples that we have, for example, in the book of Acts and so forth, uh, the questions that they had about godly living and living by faith. And so I'm asking you, when when we are referencing here and and illustrating by Jesus' own teaching what James is saying here, do you recognize this is the gospel? And when I say that, I'm talking about what is good Isn't this good news? Isn't it good news that God is better to us than our earthly fathers? Isn't it good news to us that God delights in being generous with his wisdom and that he isn't playing games with us and that we can appeal to him? James goes on to give us instruction and warning about how we pray and what we should pray for what we should pray. But here in verses 6 and 8, he talks about God's integrity. The integrity of God's wisdom is not only generous, but it's singularly unconfused and it is uncorrupted. God cannot be fooled or or bribed. Look at verses 6 and following. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. You can't play mind games with God. This matter of praying and seeking wisdom and desiring to live by faith and wanting God to give us direction with an urgent, continual, ongoing appeal to Him. James warns us about this. He says, look, you can't bribe or fool God. This integrity of God's wisdom is, is, is not confused in terms of the simplicity. Not that God is simple, it's that God is unconfused. That's the point there. God is unconfused. That ought to be a, an encouragement to us. Do you feel confused? <laughs> I feel confused a lot of times. I love that uh, a statement that observations attributed to Davy Crockett that uh, somebody asked him if he got lost in the mountains or something. He says, Well, I've never been lost, but I have been powerfully confused. And I, I do you feel confused? Confused about various things in life? Confused about, you know, uncertainties or struggles or impending difficulties? James is not reproaching us. God doesn't reproach us for that. He reproaches us for being unfaithful and doubting that He is our Heavenly Father and knows what's coming and that we urgently and continually appeal to Him. And I think we need to be very careful about this because there's a, a, a psychological uh abuse that goes on particularly with those faith healers and uh the um positive confession um kinds of movements about you know god wants you to be rich and all this kind of stuff and that is the the burden of proof is shifted in a psychological game to say oh you don't have enough faith if you don't have power and riches and wealth If you don't have the things that you want, if you don't receive what you're praying for that you've put the the picture up on your refrigerator and you're praying for that, whatever that picture might be, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's not what James says. James says because you're not asking for the right things. (laughs) You're being selfish and you're playing games with God. That's what James, I told you to read the book of James. You get a lot of instruction out of the book of James about what pleases God and what displeases God. And so James illustrates and qualifies for us this urgent continual prayer in the second part of verse 6 when he talks about the waves of the sea and the blowing of the wind. Look at what he says. It says, but let him ask in faith. He's talking about covenant faithfulness here of an urgent continual praying, believing in terms of God's um, answering to our prayers and directing us by his providence, trusting him as our heavenly father, even in the things that we don't see or know. And he says, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. And here's where he gives us the illustration of this doubting. It's like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. I think you know that throughout Scripture, the instability of the teeming sea represents the world. The blowing of the wind and the unsettledness of the sea. Our lives are not to be characterized by that. We're not of the world. We're not to be unsettled. Uh, blown here and there. Elsewhere scripture talks about not being blown about by every wind of doctrine. And and James says uh, don't be a ship without a rudder when he talks about how you control your mouth and your tongue and what you say. He uses that illustration among others. And so James is telling us here that this doubting is like the world. It's being unsettled like the world. Doubting the love of God our Heavenly Father. Doubting his presence with us, doubting even in the difficulties. What does James say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Doubting that God loves us because things are hard or difficult or not the way we want them to be. You see, that's James and the Word of God growing us up, cultivating us in the faith because there's so much in my life that isn't the way I want it to be. There are so many difficulties, so many hardships, so many unknowns. The world isn't like I want it to be. The people I love most are not like I want them to be. The man in the mirror, I don't even want to talk about him. James does, but I don't want to. And that's why James says, look, don't be doubting. That's playing games. Don't play these mental games, these mind games with God. What are you thinking? This kind of instability... Is confused about who God is and our relationship with Him. It's mo- motivated by a self-centered fickleness that James goes on to describe in various ways. And it represents certainly a, a demonstration in personality and life that is double-minded. Did you see verse 8? Such a one who doubts and who falls into this game-playing rather than to faithful praying and trusting God. Is a double minded man unstable in all his ways, and i 've got to draw your attention to that word double minded it's a it's kind of a a coined word by James. It's the only place we find it James puts two words together. Do you know what it literally means? It means a double puffer uh, someone who 's panting Do you know to me? it kind of represents what I think is more of a Hebraic mindset of, of descriptive language. And I think that's what James is getting at. And James seems to be describing something that we have actually hit on, which is called hyperventilation anxiety order. You catch that? Hyperventilation <laughs> anxiety order. When do people fall into hyperventilation? Panting and double puffing and... <laughs> They're not trusting God. The world's full of it. The world has a name for it. James just said it's double-minded, unfaithful <laughs> approach to life. What happens when people start huffing and puffing? You ever, you ever seen a child throw a tantrum? Huffing and puffing. <sighs> and, and they're going to pass out. They're hyperventilating. They're going to pass out. Why? Because I want to go to I can't have what I want. Boy, we don't want to see ourselves that way before the Lord, do we? I can't have what I want. Double-minded, huffing and puffing against the will of God. Well, if that tweaks you a little bit with conscience, then don't read the rest of the book of James. (laughs) No, I want you to go home and read the book of James. Because James just spells it out. He gets very under our skin with wisdom from above about what is good and what God approves of and what is not good and what is sin and what knowing what is right and good to do and not doing it and why that's sin and it chiefly falls down to not being faithful to God you pray and you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss. you ask for your own selfishness James says that among other things so This double-mindedness is a real um, shock, I think, as James intended it for us. Don't be double-minded. Don't be a double puffer. Don't be panting and huffing and hyperventilating over not trusting God, not believing, not being steadfast in the faith and the promises of God and the wisdom of God and the goodness of God and to the attention of what comes first and what's more important. Is for the new year godly living about being better off? But what could we as Christian believers substitute for that? In this new year, sanctified by faith, as we should say, if we live and God wills, we'll do this or that, what would you substitute that would be other than being better off? I hope I'll be better off in the new year. Can you think of something that God would approve of for the new year? Now, in conclusion, I want you to consider this. Do not mistake wisdom for information. I think that's a huge mistake. And I think even within the Christian community, the idea is that we just need more information. We just need more information. Wisdom is not more information. Wisdom is not immediate information like ordering the pizza and getting it within the time frame. We think we can ask God in our prayer request. We just want to order the pizza of God's will. But wisdom is not immediate information. And wisdom is not information systems. We look for the key. We look for the system. And if we've got the system, then that gives us assurance that everything's going to go the way we planned. But... The ancient preacher and the apostolic preacher both warned us in the beginning, it ain't that way. All wisdom traditions, from below and from above, in religion and philosophy, depend on a moral dimension for meaning. When we talk about wisdom is more than information, we're talking about a moral dimension that has to do with the way we live our lives and our involvement with other people in the world. And that moral dimension connects thought and behavior personal accountability or the conscious attempts to escape accountability. These are identified by ethical dilemmas. Uh, Did I mention to you about reading the book of James? Because if you do, you're going to be faced with ethical dilemmas. And the ethical dilemma is whether we believe God and live by faith or whether we believe the world and huff and puff and try to figure it out ourselves. For he who knows to do good and does not do it It is sin. And so that's where James is leading us. Yes, there are ethical dilemmas in our life of faith. And James gives us many examples and applications of that. For the Christian believer, wisdom from above is revealed by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. And it's witnessed to conscience from the Holy Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. And and to be godly wise as we are to live in faith, as James says is to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. That double-mindedness, that doubting and uh, double-mindedness, James identifies as self-deception. And he even uses the example that I mentioned earlier about looking into the mirror of God's word to to remember what kind of person you are. For God to reflect and tell you what you ought to be. This is how you need to dress up. This is how you need to to, to spruce up. This is what you need to clean up. This is where you need to wash. This is what you need to, to do the Word of God, the mirror of the Word of God. These are so many beautiful and wonderful examples to us on how we are to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And I am going to uh, press you with this question once again. Is preaching about godly wisdom and prayer, is that preaching the gospel? You know, Has the gospel been preached this morning? Is the good news to be encouraged and warned about praying and faith-living in fellowship with God. Is that preaching the gospel? Do we have the gospel presented to us in the Lord's Supper this morning? You see, I'm saying this intentionally because of what we need to be thinking and of what we need. We need prayer and fellowship with the Lord through His means of grace. He's appointed to us the public worship and the elements of public worship and the expounding and the preaching of the Word of God is to receive the implanted Word with meekness. To be humbled like a child and say, I need to hear this, I need to hear what the instruction of the Word of God is. The preaching of the gospel is the good news that God is our Father in heaven through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and adoption of the Holy Spirit. Let's not be truncated and and academic and try to uh, establish our own definition of what preaching the gospel is. We are to preach the whole counsel of the word of God. And beloved, to be reminded that God is our heavenly father and is not a curmudgeon and is not a game player and, and our faith is not like the world and its speculations. That is good news and to have Jesus Christ portrayed before us in this Lord's Supper by the words of institution that he identified, this is my body, this is my blood. That's the display of the good news. The good news that in confused days, God is not confused. And our lives are not lost. And our lives are not unimportant. And our worship is not ignored but that we join in faith in a great and innumerable host who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So consider that as we come to this Lord's Supper and pray the Lord to improve our faith.